Thank you, guys, man. That was just awesome what y'all did here. I appreciate that. Uh, let's give them one more hand. Um, I was, um, it's it's kind of strange, you know, I, I sometimes I go by these just little feelings that I have, and, um, you know, when I really started trying to get serious about my relationship with God, not just hearing the Word, but doing the doing the Word, I remember uh, Tanya and I went to um, a church in Georgia, just that I'd been dying to go, and, you know, it's like mega, mega now, but back then it was just mini mega, I guess. And um, just just walking in there, I mean, like, just once we, like, opened the door, you just felt something. You just felt some sort of presence of God that I just hadn't felt any. I knew it was there. And uh, sure enough, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't looking for it, you know, but I walked in those doors and I just, my mind immediately went back then to when I felt just that presence and power of God on a place and and I believe the more we become like Him, like Jesus, you know, not just doing things for Jesus, but becoming like Him, we're going to see that magnify and magnify. And you'll be able to just walk in here and the unbeliever will be able to come in here and say, I don't know what it is. I don't know what that preacher said and I don't know any of them songs they played. But there's something there that was just insanely real and I want more of that. And that's what I hope to produce here, you know, at Lifeline Community Church, if it can be produced. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I want to thank You so much just for after something, just that wonderful to hear people raise their voices to You and pour out their hearts to You and raise their hands to You. That You allow me to come up here and, and speak. And Lord, I... I'm painfully aware that all week I try and I try to come up with something knowing that it's going to be a failing effort for who could get up here and speak about the glory and majesty of God. There's a reason that the angels continually sing holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and they've been there for millennia, thousands of years because Lord, You reveal a new aspect of yourself and they just can't help but cry out that there's nobody like you and that you're holy and then here we are down on earth lord with sin rampant and it shrinks you so much and puts you on our level and we start thinking that you are so much less than you really are so my prayer is today lord that these words just are heard today in hearts. They're seen with spiritual eyes that, that spiritual minds comprehend it, Lord, and something gets placed in us that makes us want to be more like You. Not just do more stuff for You, but to be like You. Thank You for Your power. Thank You for Your presence on this most unworthy servant, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that Your power and glory be recognized and honored and manifest in this place. And it's in Your name I pray. Amen. So, guys, we um, I got a little sermon today I called uh, Stimulated but Not Changed. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the kids are out of here because if I had this one, I was like, there's no way I would talk about that, you know. If if they were all in here, but this is you know you you all week guys. I mean I I've, I'm reading 
It's mostly in the morning before I go to school. I'm, you know, what, what I'm, I'm thinking about what kind of preacher do I want to be? Okay, nobody's listened to more sermons than than me. I mean, I don't know if that's I'm not boasting or bragging. I mean, some of them I wish I hadn't heard, and some of them I'm really glad I do. But I listen to people preach all the time, and I like to find one person and listen to them for for months. I mean, I'll listen to fifty to a hundred sermons that these guys producing and I try not to listen to so much what they say just about anybody can come up and deliver a good message or some sort of thought all you need is insight to do that but to have revelation from God that's what I'm always thinking is this just a really intelligent insightful person or is this person spending time with God is this person uh Get receiving revelation from God. And, and that's what I want. I think intellectually I'm good enough to come up here and say something that, that you maybe you hadn't thought about or you leave saying, wow, you hadn't thought about it. That's kind of cool. But I don't want that. I want you to just see, man, that guy right there has got the power of God on his life. So it's not so much an evaluation of, yes, he can deliver good sermons. Watch me during my daily week. Watch me at work. Watch how I am with kids who don't deserve my mercy. Watch how I am with my wife. Watch how I am with my kids. Ask them how I really am because this is not the test of my spirituality. It's when I go out tomorrow and I work and I live my everyday life and I honor Him with everything that I have. It's the difference in doing something for God and having God inside of you. I have been praying the wrong prayer. I mean, for years I've been saying, Lord, let me speak Your Word boldly and let me proclaim it. Let me be Your, you know, a great preacher. I wish I could go back and take all those prayers back and just say, Lord, make me more like You. Let people just see me walking and say, man, that, that guy right there, he, he's trying to walk like Jesus. You know, I was thinking uh, the other day, I saw a little picture uh, and uh, when I was like one or two years old, and my dad had obviously been playing ball, and uh, you know I, I loved playing basketball in high school, and um, I've I've told my whole life, you know, no matter how good my game was, let me tell you how good your daddy was, okay? And so, okay, all right, I I got it. But as I, I saw a little picture of me, it was like one or two years old. I don't know how I was, but the basketball like came up to like here. And then there's a picture of the goal being way up there, and I'm trying to get it there. You know, that anybody would see that little kid and say, man, look at that. He's following after his dad. He wants to be like his dad, but it doesn't even look close. It's not even close to what he was as a little kid, as a little two-year-old. And I think today what we want to be, be people, see people seeing within us as as I go into to school and as I go do my everyday life and as I treat people who don't treat me so well, you know, they look and they say, man, look at that guy right there. Like, he's not even close to walking in Jesus' steps. But my God, look how he's trying. Look at the effort. There's no doubt that guy right there wants to be like his father in heaven. He wants to walk like Jesus. Now, it looks dumb sometimes. It looks awful. It's not even close. But that's what that guy is about. 
That's the kind of preacher I want to be. When you see my life, when you listen to my series of sermon, if you were to evaluate me like I evaluate everybody else, because this is different. I'm, my life's changed because I'm a preacher of a church. And it makes me almost sick because as I looked at my life before now, when I could just come in and sit in the seats and just be a spectator, I spent more time criticizing what the guy does up here. I spent more time criticizing what the leadership team does and how I might do it if I'm different. Well, guess what, Adam? Here you go. Here's your chance. Here's your chance. But, but I had it all wrong. Why am I out there criticizing other people instead of in my own life trying to become more like God? So my goal here is just to, to put something in you that changes you. And that's where I come up with this idea of stimulated, but not changed. And before I'm, I'm going to take you on a little journey. It's going to start, you know, kind of like, why did he start there? But, but you got to understand some things before I just throw out this story. And uh, you think I'm just, well, he's just picking the most X-rated part of the Bible, you know. Because <laughs> the Bible, let me tell you, you know, if you had to rate it, G, PG, PG-13, NC-17, man, it's like NC-17. You know, we take like all these stories, you know, like with my kids, like, oh, look how Noah took the little animals on the ark, children. Isn't it so beautiful? You know, I don't go, look how everybody drowned, <laughs> Like everybody was begging to get back on that boat after it was too late. You know, we don't go there. We, we, we romanticize all this stuff. So in order to, to get where I'm going, I got to take you on a little journey. And it's going to start in Matthew chapter 22, uh, verse 23. The same day, the Sadducees, okay, what a name, who say there is no resurrection, which is exactly why they're so sad, you see, okay, they don't know there's a resurrection. Because like, man, that's awful. This life is it. I'd be sad, you see, too. If I didn't think there was anything after this, this is it. This is as, close, this is as good as it gets. I hope not. Okay, anyway. Um, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies. I mean, I'm telling you, Moses was the man. He was like the Jesus of their day. The teacher is like Moses. This is, he's, he's everything. His teaching is, is life and and the Word of God said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, if we thought we cared about who our family members marry, now imagine being in this society, like your brother marries somebody like, whoa, listen, cuz, if you die, guess what I got to do? So, uh... Listen, man, you might want to think about this. We can't be going there, you know. That, that woman's not right for you. Okay, we, we would be hardcore on that, man. But anyway, now there were with us seven brothers. So they're trying to come up with an extreme example to, to trap Jesus. The first died, and after he married, uh, and the, the first died after he had married, and having no offspring, that's a big deal, uh, left his wife to his brother. And I stopped it right there. Anyway, it went on, it says it goes all the way down to the last uh, brother, and they have no children. So it says, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And man, you gotta love how Jesus just is. His response to these guys, you know, cause they're like, 
We believe everything that Moses says. And, and he picks the simplest thing. At first he says, look, you don't understand God. Okay, You don't understand heaven. You don't understand anything. There's not going to be any marriage. It's different in heaven. It's 10,000 times more awesome than this life. You don't have a clue and you don't even believe in it. And he goes on to tell these Sadducees, he says, have you not read? And this had to be so insulting to people who had the Bible memorized. It's, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the, he is the God of the living, not the dead. So I know you don't believe in any resurrection, but he's the God of the living. What do you do with that verse? It says, I am. You do know verb tenses, don't you, Sadducees? I mean, just laid the smack down on them right there. But this was a story that we can't relate to because we don't know about this whole brother taking the wife after the brother, trying to have a kid, so she will have offspring because widows were seriously disadvantaged group. They couldn't own property. They couldn't do basically anything to provide for themselves the means to just live. And it's why I believe God allowed what's called a leveret marriage, which meant that, yes, the oldest brother could... Uh, actually, let me just let the Bible explain it. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 7. This is where this idea comes from. If the man does not want to take his brother's wife... Okay, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate and to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I don't want to take her. Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elder, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. So God ordained, allowed this leveret marriage so that if a woman became completely helpless because she had no son, that the brother could come in and hopefully then conceive a child, and that child be the considered the dead's dead uh, dead dead husband's child, and that child could be the heir if it was a boy to the property and all that kind of stuff, and she could still have a place in society. So if there was a man that refused to do this, it was a very big deal. It was that you were going to be publicly humiliated if you chose to perform this duty. Now, knowing that, this is the context that I want to, uh, to bring in. Genesis chapter 38, verses 1 through 10. Now, first of all, the last like dozen chapters of Genesis is given to Joseph and the life of Joseph, which is an unbelievable picture of Jesus. You know, like a lot of the things he does, and maybe one day I'll do that, was show the things that he did and compare it to what Jesus did on an even greater level. It's amazing. 
But right here wedged in that story of Joseph is the story of Judah. Okay, And it's really there, I guess, just to, to be a great contrast to Joseph's life, to kind of show you what not to do, to kind of show you how not to be. I guess in literary, literary terms, it would be called a, a foil, uh, just to show you the opposite. Now, here's Joseph's life. This is a life to be admired and replicated and lived. But Judah, here's a life not so much... Um, to be replicated and lived. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira or Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her, went in unto her. Now, guys, this was a very dangerous thing to do. I mean, these are these are Jacob's boys. And, you know, so here we are. We're by taking a Canaanite woman, God specifically said, listen, don't take these foreign women and contaminate my line. Don't contaminate what it is I'm trying to do through you because you'll start following their God. You'll start following their ways. You'll start doing the things they do. Don't take them. But here Judah says, I'll do my own thing. You know, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so he married her, went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. I don't know if that's what you name a kid, you know, like when it's totally accidental. What do you name him? Ur. Uh, okay, that sounds good. You know, uh, Ur. What's your name? Ur. Oh, boy, they didn't mean to have you, did they? Um, she conceived again and bore a son. Okay, now here we go. She called his name Onan. So this is Judah's kids. He had Ur and he had Onan. She conceived yet again and bore a son called his name Shelah. He was at Chezib when she bore him. So he had how many kids? Three. Okay. All right. You guys are doing a little better than some of my sixth graders. Um, then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Okay? Now, you got to think, why was he wicked? Obviously, daddy didn't care anything about the Lord's ways. So he followed right in daddy's footsteps. Well, daddy, listen, you know God said not to marry foreign women, but here's my mom. She is a foreign woman. You know, so obviously he's going to love his mom. If she hadn't changed her ways, he's going to follow her ways. And so here he is. Of course he's wicked. He's, he's being raised by people that don't believe in the God of Israel, that he did those great and mighty things. Of course he's going to do evil in the sight of the Lord. He doesn't know. And the Lord killed him. Do evil in the sight of the Lord. Lord kills him. So now what's going to happen? Judah said to Onan, okay, we're going to fulfill this idea of the leveret marriage Go into your brother's wife and marry her. Raise up an heir to your brother. Okay, so Onan, here it is. It's his turn. You'll go fulfill your duty. You know, raise up a, an heir. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. Okay, he doesn't want to fulfill his duty. He doesn't want responsibility for 
what He has to do. He doesn't want to take responsibility. And it came to pass. Now check this out. Here it is. When he went into his brother's wife, so he looked like he was about to perform his duty. He was doing the fun part, I guess, of, of performing his duty that he emitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. Guys, what in the world does this have to do with us and what I've been trying to say this morning? I got this idea from a conversation that I had with an atheist. Um, my wife knows um, how much time I wasted on this. You know, I just engaged one, you know, and just tried to have a good conversation with him. And I mean, he unloaded everything I've ever heard and then more about why Christ ain't real, why it's all fairy tales, why it's all not true, and all that kind of stuff. And there was even one part where he, he talked about, you know, why, why does God care so much about sex? It's such a natural act. And I tried to take it in, in the sense of like, look how it destroys families. I mean, look how, look how, you know, people fragment themselves over and over and have nothing left to give to their spouses. Look how many people have kids and don't want them and how many orphanages fill up. And there's one near our house that I see four and five kids. Mama don't want them. Daddy don't want them. They're just there. There's nothing to do with it. You don't see how that destroys. Take God out of it. Take God out of the picture. You can still see why God wants it this way. Even if you don't believe in Him, if you'll follow that rule, you'll be blessed. You'll have a better marriage. You won't be taking in you know, baggage to other people that it's just not fair that they that they have to deal with that. It's all kinds of stuff. It's all of that. And so we see that. And then he went on to like, and I can't even believe that God even cares something like masturbation or something. I said, that's not in the Bible. He said, you don't, you won't see anything. He said, well, what about owning? He said, yes, it is. He said, you Christians act like you know everything and you don't even know your own Bible. I said, owning? I said he was sleeping with his dead brother's wife. That's hardly not the same thing. And of course, and then he just changes the subject. It seemed like every time I started getting just a little upper edge, he would just kind of change the subject. And that just got me to thinking, why is that in there? Why is that story in there? And now that I think about it, and I'm sure I haven't exhausted all the possibilities, I believe it's a picture of most churches. The church of Onan. Okay, because like I'm highly susceptible to this happening. Because I used to want this. I wanted to go to church and be stimulated. I wanted to go in there and feel good. I wanted to go in there and be told something I've never thought of and experienced something I've never experienced before. I wanted that spiritual, just awesome feeling. Okay? But I didn't want anything inside of me. I didn't want Christ in me that changed the way I worked on Monday. I didn't want to have to go to school and actually work and do a good job like for Him. I didn't want to have to go in there and when somebody did me wrong, treat them good. I wanted to treat them worse than they treated me. I wanted to pay them back at least get even. I didn't want something in me that changed. I just wanted to go out there and be stimulated a little bit so I would feel a little bit better. But don't put anything inside of my heart. And that's what I think leaders in the church today have the responsibility to do, to implant something 
in you and your heart and your mind that changes you. You leave out of here not saying, oh, I just had some sort of spiritual orgasm. I got the feel out of it. But I want that in me. And I want to put that responsibility in you and plant you with something that changes you. That you go out here and your appetites change and just the way you think changes. You don't just come feel good. You come and something got put inside of you that you can't get rid of that's going to change your, your whole life. So the question is not, we come in here and say, oh, well, did it feel good? God must have moved. That's not necessarily true. Maybe that was stimulation, but not change. Did you enjoy it? Well, it must have been right. Not necessarily. You know, we, we got, I've seen preachers come up with these ideas that, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna play movies or something on here and do movie clips and talk about them and how it kind of relates a little bit to the Bible. Of course you would enjoy that. You'd come in and be entertained just like you, like I was yesterday watching Ninja Turtles with my little boy. Church is no different. You come in here, it feels good and we think, boy, that must have been right. That felt good. No, no. We pulled out too early. Nothing got put inside of me. Nothing got put inside of you. Did someone raise their hand at the invitation? God must have moved. And somebody must have got saved. Not necessarily. I'm reevaluating my salvation experience. I talk to Tanya about this all the time. Is that 16-year-old kid scared of hell? Yes. I raised my hand. Pray with me. I want him. But nothing changed. Yes, I got stimulated. Yes, I got convicted. But I went back on Monday and still cheated on my tests at school and still did stuff I shouldn't do and tried to do things behind people's back. There was nothing in me that changed. I had a conversation with the boy the other day. He's like well-mannered. He's well. He's polite. He does everything. But I just know there's something conniving about him. So I asked him. I said, what are you like? So let me tell you what I was like when I was your age. I said, I was awesome in front of... My mom and dad, you know, I was respectful. When I was at church, I knew not to say certain words. And, you know, when I was around adults, I was polite. I said, yes, but when I was around the wrong friends, he wouldn't believe how I talked. He said, that's how I am. He said, that's how I am. Yeah, I unload those words. And he just kind of grinned and laughed about it. Why? He knows about God. He's been convicted before, but there's nothing inside him. I know he's just a kid, and I know I was just a little kid, but something's got to get put inside that boy that makes him want to do right when nobody else is around. What does that say about me? It meant that I was more afraid of my parents than I were of God, was of God. I was more afraid of my teachers than I was of God, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of Him. Why wasn't I afraid? Why wasn't I terrified to put His take His name in vain? Why was it? Because there was nothing in me. I was stimulated, but I wasn't changed. And when I say now that I got saved like a hundred times, I think now I was stimulated a hundred times, but nothing was in me. It was until I was just kind of at the bottom and saw the road that I was on to destruction where I said, I've got to make a change. I've got to start doing this Word. And that day was when it got implanted in me. And from then on, I can't remember asking the Lord to forgive me in a way to save me. Yes, I say stuff I shouldn't say. Yes, I do stuff I shouldn't do. But it kills me. 
And, and I have to make it right the best I can, but I don't ask for salvation anymore because something got put in me sometime within those first hundred times that I got saved that changed me. So I don't want to be a pastor that comes up here and manipulates you into raising your hand and saying, oh, yes, look, we had 30 people raise our hands today. And look, 30 people must have got saved. Let's see what they're doing tomorrow. Let's see what that change did to them. It should change their appetites. It should change the way they are. Are they going to be perfect? Are they going to do everything right? No, but they'll take a step in the right direction. They'll tell a lie and say, you know what? No. I just lied. I don't know why I did that, but I got forgiven for that yesterday. I just lied to you. I'm sorry. Okay, yes, they still tell the lie, but something got put in them that, that just changes them. I remember being a sexually immoral te teenager that wanted the stimulation and then turn around and pray and say, God, please don't let there be new life growing in her. Please don't. I would do that. How wicked was I? How unbelievable is that I could see sin as such a light thing? I, I don't want anything. And I think that's what we do at church now. We come here, say, yes, make me feel good, but don't put anything inside of me that's going to change me. Don't put any new life in me that's going to make me live different, that's going to change my appetites because I like my sin. And guys, I'm about to run out of breath, man. I know I'm all over this, but I, I tell you, I felt this in my spirit all week. Guys, I mean, here I was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday trying to come up with something to make you feel good. To make it say like, oh man, that guy right there, he can preach. He's got God on his life. No, but then Thursday, I just hit my knees and I just started praying and I broke and I saw my sin just for a little bit of what it was and I saw him for how awesome he was and it just made me sit there and cry and weep and it changed me. And I'm like, God, I'm sorry I've forsaken that that was inside of me. And I just start going day by day trying to get through my weeks and trying to wish for Friday so I can enjoy Saturday. I'm sorry for that. So how full of sin was I? We've got to have a new revelation of how big of a deal sin is and how it shrinks God incredibly small. Incredibly small. So I wanted to look at one more instance where I believe this happened. This very thing, same thing, and this is more how it can happen to us, okay? Not that we don't do the leveret marriage thing anymore like that, you know. So, go to Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 5, um, starting in verse 1, okay? certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, okay? They did something for the Lord. Okay, I'm going to take my stuff, I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give it to him. He kept back part of the proceeds. His wife was aware of it. Now why keep it back? Why not just say, I sold it and here is half? Well, everybody else has given all and it makes everybody else feel so good to say that. So we can't go in there and say half. We have to go in there and say all. And that's what I've done so many times sitting where you are. I come in acting like I give all but I only give half. My favorite sins I keep. My favorite sins I keep doing. And nothing was in me to change me, but Ananias and Sapphira, we can't say half. I won't make everybody feel good. I won't stimulate everybody. We want, we, they kept it back. His wife was aware of it. Now, thank God I have a wife that if I even came up with that, she'd be like, you better get down there and pray. <laughs> 
you are full of sin. <laughs> she wouldn't be that bad. But she'd recognize that real quick for what it was. And brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now being full of the Spirit of God, Peter said, Ananias, why is Satan? Satan? Seriously? I just sold all this. I'm still giving half. Doesn't that give me credit for something in God's great book? Isn't that like extra credit? Come on. This is amazing. I'm, I'm giving half. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of land for yourself? Why has he lied to you? Why have you done that? Well, I thought it would make everybody feel good. I didn't know you'd know. I thought this was between me and God. He feared men. He feared people more than he feared God. There was no fear of God. You fear God and that, that thing is inside you. You can't even, you can't even go through a drive-thru of a McDonald's and then give you an extra container of fries without driving back and saying, you gave me too much. I can't accept it. Either let me pay for it or take it back. And they're always going to say, we'll just keep it. We can't take it back anyway. But still, something in you says, I can't take this. I can't do it. i got something inside me growing that I can't do that to it. Was it not your own? It was all yours anyway, Ananias. Why'd you do this? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? You could have done whatever you wanted. You could have gave part of it. You could have gave some of it. You could have, could have actually gave half of it. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart. Something's going to get conceived in your heart. And it is either a conception of Holy Spirit righteousness, Jesus, Son of God, that, that starts making you gravitate toward Him, or sin that will make you gravitate toward evil. There's always something growing in your heart. It is never at zero. You're always going one way or the other. You have not lied to men, but to God. You should have been afraid of that, Ananias. You should have been scared to death. You don't have anything in you that produces the fear of the Lord. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, breathed his last. Remember what God did to Onan back there in the Old Testament? He killed him. See what he did here for the same thing, same type of thing. Hearing these words, fell down, breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. I guess so. You lie to God, man. Woo! I think that's called layeth the smacketh downeth in King James. Guys, being a pastor, man, it's a difficult thing. Every Monday I wake up and I say, man, I'm the pastor of church. And I tell Tanya, I say, man, this is, this is different. This is hard. I said, I, I said, I just feel like, you know, I'm under a microscope all the time and I focus on the wrong things. I go out here and focus on what people think about me instead of keeping my eyes right there, fixed on Him. That's all I have to do. That's my one goal. And I hope it stays in my heart that what's conceived in my heart focuses on Him all the time and not what people think, not what people do, not what people say about me, because every one of those preachers that I've ever listened to, I start Googling them, and I start th seeing what people say about them, and uh, all of them, there's somebody that says they're a false prophet. Oh, look at what they're teaching, and this is wrong, and all that. And I look at me, I said, you know, if I stay in this long enough, 
There's going to be people say, yeah, look at why he's preaching. Heresy, look at why he's preaching. That's wrong. This is wrong. There's going to be people criticize me. There's going to be people that say, man, you're a man of God. You're doing everything, you know, to the best of your ability. I see God on your life. And there's going to be people saying, you're teaching wrong. You're a heretic. You're all this. You're, you're, a, uh, a, you're all that thing. You know, you're a hypocrite. And that's, that's coming from me. That, that's coming no matter what. But I, I don't look at any of that. If I just keep my eyes on him and I let this thing that got conceived within me 20 years ago just keep growing and gravitating toward him how can I go wrong <sighs> wow guys if y'all want to come up and uh start getting on your instruments and stuff I really am done I don't know what else to say I'm spent I mean uh about 1 me and my wife are Gonna lay down on the bed, and I tell you, I ain't gonna know anything till about four o'clock. <laughs> um, that's just the way it is. That's the way I roll. <laughs> Rest on the Sabbath, right? Which okay. Um, but what I want to ask you guys, listen. You know which way you're gravitating toward. And any time I open up the altars, um, it's just it's crazy thing to see. The people that come down are the most godly people because they're the ones who have that growing in them and when they get a little picture of that sin inside of them they hate it and they can't help but come down here and say god get rid of it i want your spirit burn that out of me i want to i want to go out here lord and live for you and honor you with every fiber of my life every fiber of my being it's the holy people it's the people that you'd look at and say well yeah of course they're living right and then you have other people like me like I used to do and sit back there and be like well I don't need to go down there I'm glad there ain't nothing wrong with my life I'm glad I asked for forgiveness back then I'm just so smug that's, that means I don't see him as he really is I don't see him as holy 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 as Lord God Almighty was and is and is to come I don't see him that way but thank God I'm starting to see him as he really is and I know I'm not even close I tried my hardest to preach the big deal of sin and how big of a deal it is for your heart to be right with God. I've tried. This is as good as I know how to do it, but yet I know it still falls short. And I know no preacher on the planet can do it justice because how holy He is and how big of a deal sin really is and how it separates you from the presence of God is just crazy. It's unbelievable got to see that stuff for what it really is and if you don't mind guys and you want to open I'm going to open up the altar and I'm going to be the first one down here because I know I got stuff in my heart that needs to be burned out and I want to start a brand new walk with him this week I want to live a week this week like I've never lived before I want to experience things I've never experienced before I want to be glad when I go into work and if my heart's right and I see him as he really is and I realize this life is just a vapor that appears just for a little while and then vanishes away. I'll be able to do that. But you've got to see Him rightly. So anybody that wants to join me down here, pray, open my eyes that I might see and put something in my heart, Lord, that I can't contain, I can't control, and I can go out here and live for You, Lord. Teach me to hate sin.